Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, it has been a while, and a lot has happened in the sports world. In particular, the Pittsburgh sports region. I, of course, am Mike Ostey, and this is Mike Draw, brought to you by the Sports Now family of networks and also the Believe Network. You can find Mike Drop on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. So whether you're on a run, you're driving in your car. You just want to lay down and kick back and listen to a podcast. Why not select Mike Drop and let the smooth melodies, like the lead-in music there, lull you to sleep? Or maybe you want to pick yourself up and get invigorated and get motivated. Maybe you want to listen to a podcast that has some vigor to it before you go on a run, run you go do whatever. Okay, you're out there. It's still winter. If you want to ski, you want to snowboard, if you want to box, maybe mic drop makes sense before any of that as well. So what I'm going to do here, if you guys chat along as I am live on all of our channels, I will answer your questions. I will chat back. I want to do something like this. This is an episode again of mic drop here on Believe in, in the Pittsburgh Sports Now, WV Sports Now, Steelers Now, Nittany Sports Now, etc. throughout the Sports Now family of networks. But no guest for this show. Wanted to offer my takes. You may or may not enjoy them on what's been going on because a lot has been going on. So in particular, the Steelers decide to keep and retain Matt Kanda as offensive coordinator. I knew it. Not surprised at all. Many of you pretty upset to say the least. And many of you didn't want to listen to those of us in the media who kept telling you that was going to be the resolution. Like, the more they won at the end of the season, the better Pickett played, the more he bailed them out at the end of some games, the better that Pickens played, the better the offense performed, even though it still certainly was was way less than what you would want, or certainly comparative to the rest of the league if you're trying to be a contender, they were going to keep him. So, comparing Canada to Byron Leftwich, who did get fired by the Buccaneers, but former Steeler, they still don't go there, okay? He's out of a job, they still don't go there. The Steelers stay the course with Matt Canda. I'll get into all of that because, again, I agree. I would have cut bait. I would have been done with Matt Canda. I don't believe his system makes sense in the NFL. I do believe the Steelers, in terms of coordinator, in terms of assistant coach-wise, I'm not going to get into Tomlin, of course. It's a future Hall of Fame coach they do have. And this was a feather in his cap to even be close to a contender with a rookie quarterback, no matter what you may think of past seasons. But Matt Canda, in particular... It's lesser than what the Bills, the Bengals, a lot of other, the Chiefs, a lot of other contending teams, certainly the AFC, whether it be the head coach or a coordinator, what they're bringing to the table in terms of calling plays. It's more than Matt Canada, certainly resume wise, but he's still going to be around and they don't do it mid season. So you're looking at at least one more year with Matt Canada. We're also getting into West Virginia firing Larry Harrison unceremoniously, I might add. Larry, since speaking on the matter, and the team, after a five-game losing streak, getting a win over number 14 TCU at home to give them a conference win and probably get themselves back in the tournament picture. We'll see what happens coming up in the rest of Big 12 play, but a big deal, a much-needed win. They freaking had to win it, or the season really would have gone down the drain. They do also hire Dermar Johnson, former sixth overall pick in the 2000 NBA draft. It's a while ago, but still 20 years younger than Larry Harrison, had a 16-year pro career, whether it be NBA or overseas. It's his first real big-time coaching job, not tons of coaching experience, but has the Huggins connection, and he really could help them recruiting, which maybe Larry kind of you know, wasn't doing as much. Tail end of his career, we'll see what happens to Larry, but maybe this is it. He is over 60. Good guy, but and they did him a little dirty. But Dermar Johnson seems like a home run hire. For West Virginia, the Pitt basketball program is also actually winning some games. And yeah, now they're playing some lowly opponents of the ACC, but 
they're winning and they look to be a tournament team. Penn State freaking looks to be a tournament team. This could be the first time in over a decade, I believe, that Pitt, West Virginia, and Penn State all could get in the NCAA tournament in that same year. And Duquesne freaking winning games. Maybe you'll have a, a, a quad regional tournament situation in terms of college basketball in the area. Robert Morris, maybe another thing to be desired. But that would be odd and special kind of for the region, even if none of them get out of the first weekend and certainly some projections show them all in the same bracket i don't know if that's gonna happen a while ago pitt and penn state were actually bracketed by lenardi to play each other I, i'm not gonna bet on that happening either but the odds any vegas odds out there to have all these teams from a region in the tournament when it hadn't happened in so long certainly penn state really never gets in pitt has been down west virginia down last year and looked like for a while this year before Picking it up now with the win, certainly into conference play. It's not been good. Changing the team of the transfer portal really all the way around for all of those teams. And it it's paying off, maybe, at least, even though maybe getting in as an 11 seed, it might be less than expectations for West Virginia. But Pitt getting in would be a big deal because they weren't even sniffing it last year. And I think in NIT, a lot of fans would have taken as kind of still slurping the Kool-Aid for Jeff Cable. We can even talk Penguins as it's been less than what you would want this year for sure. They had that losing streak. Malkin scoring some goals, but he also still has gas in games that make you just win. Crosby still obviously one of the better players in the world. But is this team really a contender for a deep playoff run? Are they really a contender to do anything? You need to hang on with this core group to see how much longer you could go together it's rare in sports history, certainly in the NHL, longest run together of a core three of Latang, Crosby, and Malkin. All the success they had, you could say maybe they should have won more, but they've still had tremendous success. Everything does come to an end eventually. Every dynasty, every long run, every any gauntlet of success throughout sports history in any league, anywhere, any sport, eventually comes to an end. Look what's happened to the Blackhawks. Look what happened to the Red Wings. They're fighting for respectability now but it took him over a decade after a 25 plus year run with different cast of characters a veteran team that was kind of bought of all hall of famers they got a little younger going from eisenman all the way over to datsuk and zetterberg and then yeah it's been not much the dylan larkin era maybe he's the best of the last 10 plus years and right now again they're just trying for respectability the kings have dipped down after two cups it happens it does. I mean, there are franchises that are able to be consistent contenders and keep it on. Tampa Bay doing that now in the NHL, but that's going to eventually go down. They'll eventually get back to what they were, and it took them a long time to get back after the 04 Cup, which was kind of out of nowhere. So it'll come to an end for the Penguins as well, but is it coming to an end yet? And I also kind of want to bring something up, and this, again, goes to the Penguins front. I've seen a lot of fans getting on Jeff Carter, who obviously is now showing his age, that comes off unreasonable to me because, again, you knew what you were getting with his age, or you should have, and he was really productive when you first got him. How much longer did you think that was really going to last, and what are you expecting in him at his age, a role player plus before in his prime on good teams? You can't expect him now to be what he was, certainly not asked to carry a team. If you've got issues defensively, etc., with injuries and Latang missing time, obviously with, with his personal life, that's not on any of these players who were brought there for certain roles, certainly with their ages. And you got to give more time to a GM and Extel who comes in. You can't just give that short leash that I know fans want to have. It does come off like he wanted to rebuild a season ago and they kind of contended out of nowhere. We'll see how much longer that goes. I see a lot of chat action here. So again, mic drop here. On Believe, you can find me in all my coverage. I do cover West Virginia in particular, but also certainly throughout the Pittsburgh sports region as I'm always available to give takes on anything you may want me to give takes on. So we'll see what you have for me right now. Again, we'll call this an Ask Mike Anything. We'll call this a Pittsburgh sports chat, whatever you want to call it. Again, mic drop, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, WB Sports Now, Pittsburgh Sports Now, Nittany Sports Now, even Steelers sport even Steelers now Pittsburgh baseball now Pittsburgh hockey now etc all throughout the sports now family of networks and Google me I've been all over in terms of Pittsburgh media okay how much cap will the Steelers enter free agency with so you're giving me a numbers question right off the bat I do got admittedly got to look that one up in terms of what they have right off the top of my head 
Um, does anyone think our tackle swapping positions would make a lot of sense? What position do you think they will take with their first pick? Do you think they retain Flores? I'll, I'll hit some of those before I have to look up some numbers if you really want to get that, but you can do that Google search on your own as well. Uh, in terms of Flores, I'll answer it this way. I hope not for Flores, for Flores' sake. Tomlin spoke about this on the pivot with Ryan Clark, who he knows personally, and they're still close friends. Obviously, Clark was a player under Tomlin, won a championship with him, that he initially didn't go after Brian Flores once he became available because he thought it'd be insulting to call Brian Flores and say, you can be an assistant coach, we'll find some position for you, we'll throw you on the staff. He thought that would be an insult to a, to a head coach, a former head coach who was fired unceremoniously and a bit ridiculously. And I'm not going to go into whether I believe there was racism there or not because it's pretty much proven now that an African-American head coach is not going to get the leeway, not going to get the rope as say others would. And you're one and done. Look at the Texans are doing back to back one and done African-American coaches. That's it. One year is not enough time to do anything in the league, but going back to Flores, he was with Miami for a while, a short while, won 11 games, one of those seasons. And th this is not Tua in his prime when healthy right now, leading the way for the Dolphins who did make the playoffs this year. And yeah, his health is in question for the future, but he was a part of a lot of those wins. That's not what he had to deal with. Okay. Flores had a Dolphin team that nobody thought was going to go anywhere. And he won 11 games with them. One of those seasons, they were a contender in a way, even though they weren't a playoff team. Certainly did better than some other coaches who are allowed to linger on and continue as a head coach. He certainly could have earned the right to stay aboard. But if you do fire him, then for him to be a part of a Steelers staff was great for the Steelers because they got a guy with a head coaching experience that the players love, that a lot of players felt like got a raw deal, so they're going to be motivated for. But obviously had a relationship that he was developing with Tomlin, even though not prior, and maybe there's a soft spot for Mike Tomlin, who... You could argue most successful African-American coach of all time. Certainly he's done wonders in the NFL in general, future Hall of Famer. And, and you know, he takes that. It, it's not a tag on him, obviously. He's a Hall of Famer regardless of the skin color, but he's a, a trendsetter. He's a trailblazer, certainly to what he's accomplished and been with the Steelers for so long as an African-American head coach. So maybe wanting to help out another one who we thought got a raw deal. And you add that guy to your staff. That's a plus. That's a check, check, check. That's a that's a plus. I mean, that was a no-brainer for the Steelers. But now, a year later, you hope he gets a better situation, whether it be a head coach spot or whether it be a legit coordinator spot, because, again, you're just looking at an assistant spot on the Steelers. You hope that for Flores. There are reports that the Cardinals, among other teams, I believe the Broncos as well, a few others, have called. And, yeah, there's Rooney Rule, and teams just fudge that, and they interview whoever, and then – it doesn't go anywhere, and we know teams have kind of skirted that rule in the past, and, and that sucks. You can't force a franchise, though, to hire somebody. So, uh, you know, on the end of penalizing a franchise for not hiring a minority coach, I'm not with you there because that's just not fair. You can't force someone to hire someone if they don't want to. I mean, they own they own the company, they own the business, they own the franchise. But just obviously there's discrimination that exists, and it's crept up into what coaches get opportunities and how long their rope is once they do. So I hope Brian Flores is able to get a better situation, to get at least a coordinator spot, to get a chance at being a head coach again, to advance his career for sure. That's what I hope for him. If not, though, I'd imagine the Steelers would love to have him as long as he's willing and doesn't have a better opportunity, but I'd imagine he's going to get something else somewhere and probably will be gone. In terms of that first overall pick, I know that's a contentious question that's going to keep being talked about for months on end as we get closer to the NFL draft. And people keep bringing up, I'll, I'll touch on this, Keep people keep bringing up Jordan Addison to pair him back with Kenny Pickett. Obviously, they had the dynamic run at Pitt, certainly. Kenny Pickett's final season. They won the ACC. Jordan Addison was a big part of that. Everyone focuses on Pickett. He's the quarterback. He's the Heisman candidate, as they should. But he didn't do it alone. He'll be the first to give credit to Jordan Addison, who also really stepped up, who really learned the offense. They worked together. They became that QB receiver duo and was a stud. He then leaves the USC after Pickett's gone. He probably would have went to the NFL if he could have at the time. Got a big chunk of change, nonetheless, thanks to the NIL. USC doesn't win the conference. They don't 
do nearly what they were supposed to, to do and, and they kind of collapse and they don't really get anything to say for it. No conference title, no no playoff spot, no bowl game, et cetera, in terms of championships. So uh, that kind of sucked for USC. But as far as Addison, he still certainly showed his worth. He's a dynamic player that's going to do well in the NFL when healthy. And now he got some money in his pocket, so that's fine. But no, I wouldn't draft Addison. It's nothing against Addison. It's nothing against the connection of Pickett and Addison. I get that making sense. But number one, because a lot of Pitt fans are who want this to happen, let's be real. And nothing against being a Pitt fan. It's the fact that the Steelers are not going to just be drafting a bunch of Pitt Panthers just for the sake of it and just have, have, have Pittsburgh pro. Okay. Yeah, they drafted James Conner. He fell in the draft. And how are you going to pass that up at that time? And maybe him being local was cool, but obviously that didn't last forever. And once he didn't really prove himself as a top back in the league, in their eyes, at least, they were fine with not having him be there forever. Yes, they did draft Kenny Pickett. But as I've said before, whether it be my show or any show I've appeared on since the draft, I even said at the time on an instant reaction show, that I do believe the Steelers were in love with Kenny Pickett more so than any other first-round quarterback. He was the only first-round quarterback. He became the only first-round quarterback. I do believe they loved him more as an NFL-ready guy than, say, Malik Willis, who'd be more of a project, who we also saw a little bit of this past NFL season for the Titans. But I don't believe they would have taken Pickett if he was a top-10 pick or if he was gone earlier. I don't believe they would have traded up to fight for him. He fell in their lap. They didn't think he would really be there. That's why they signed Trubisky before. They were really going to go ahead with Trubisky, see what would happen, get a late-round quarterback maybe, worry about it again. Maybe they would have taken Willis if they lingered into the second or third round for sure because Willis certainly dropped and he didn't go right away either. Again, Pickett, the only first-round QB. So, But the Steelers then had Pickett fall in their lap at pick 20. They were so in love with him as an NFL-ready guy, they didn't care where he went to college. Yeah, him being at Pitt's cool, and Tom spoke about it, I was able to kind of recruit the man for a year and scout him because he's in the same building. I'm sure that helped, but if Penn State was in the same building with the Steelers and WVU was in the same building with the Steelers, I'd imagine they would have felt the same way. It's just that close proximity. Tom was not a Pitt alum, so you might go to some games because he's in Pittsburgh. I, they didn't draft him because he's the Pitt quarterback, because he was a Pitt all-time great, because of the great season he had for Pitt. They drafted him because they believed in Kenny Pickett for the NFL, thought he was the most NFL-ready, didn't want to wait around a while. He fell in their lap. They loved him as a player. And again, they may love Jordan Addison as a player as well, and they may love that connection of him and Pickett. But number one, in terms of reasons you don't need Addison, you have George Pickett's. So you're able to draft Pickens. You're able to draft several receivers this past draft as well with Austin, too. You didn't really get to see this season. He's a burner, though. But Pickens stepped up. I thought Pickens should have been a candidate for Rookie of the Year. I'm not saying win the award, but I thought he certainly should have been on the list that we got pro football writers emailed to us so we can vote for. Not have him there in the top five or six. That's insane. I did think he should have been at least on the list. Pickens really stepped up, certainly towards the end of the season, had a little bit of early season, give me the damn ball type of thing. But you're going to have that as a receiver who's dependent on a QB or other spots or an offensive line or coaches or other people to have your success, no matter how good you are. So that's part of the receiver getting the diva tag. But he, he's a talented beast. He can go up and get it. He can beat a double team. He has the size. He has the athletic ability. He can make you plays. George Pickens makes plays. They maybe kind of got him as a steal in the draft. You look at where his career is going to go, where I think it's going to go, where it was this year, individually speaking. So if you have Addison, yeah, you maybe you're stacking receivers. They had those type of teams before and it didn't matter to win. But Pickens is your number one to me moving forward. And it's proven this year. Pickens is your number one in terms of talent. Deontay Johnson's really a number two, even though now he's getting paid. and. He had a rough year, so he didn't prove even deserving of the money that he got, let alone getting more money. We'll see about his future. There's already reports of people thinking they're going to trade him because he now wants out, etc. So Pickens to me is really the one. You do have Deontay still, though. You do trade Trace Claypool. He is now gone. But here's the thing about the Steelers and why you don't need to rush Addison first round pick because of the pit connection. The Steelers for 15 plus years have been able to draft receivers. 
going back to Plesco Burris, to Santonio Holmes, to Manuel Sanders, to Claypool, Juju, Antonio Brown, of course. Again, the list can go on and on and on. They're able to draft receivers. Even Claypool right away was great before dropping off. And they can get production right away out of a receiver. That's what the position can garner in the NFL. So for any fault of the Steelers in past drafts, they've been able to successfully draft receivers, whether they be top-round picks or later-round picks. And they don't need to go crazy for Addison. This team still needs offensive line help. They should have went O-line several years ago instead of Najee Harris. I said that at the time. It's not a hot take now for me because I said it then. Najee's great. He turned it on towards the end of this season. You got to give it to him because criticism prior to that was valid. But to me, you don't go running back in the first round unless you guarantee elite production right away and you know you're going to get it for three to four years because after that, you're not going to usually have that player still there because of contractual issues. Running backs rarely resign with that same team teams that win championships or go far don't often have an elite running back. You don't need an elite running back in order to win a championship that's been proven. It's nice, but it's not It's not something you need. You don't want to shell out tons of cash for it, for that second deal. And when you have a really bad offensive line like they did, they bring in Najee, get him killed. Yards per carry wasn't there. It, the offensive line wasn't good enough. He was trying to run through a wall. This year, rough early. He wasn't healthy. He got better late, but now you're already two years into this thing, and the team hasn't been winning, obviously. The O-line hasn't been helping him. I wouldn't have done it. But if you got him, you have him. Now you need to go offensive line. I would really go O-line right away. I mean, that that's still a need for this team. It got better this year than what it was, but it is still a need for this team. And anybody who's not in love with Pickett, I'm not saying I'm sold on him forever. He's a franchise guy, guaranteeably. But he got better enough. He improved enough. He did enough. He definitely improved throughout the season. Even if you're a hater, you got to admit that. And they're they're sold. They're in love. They're sold. I'll tell you that from what I know with the Steelers, from what I know with the Steelers, from covering the Steelers, from having that inside info and people that still cover the Steelers. They are sold. He is long-term. He will be the guy. They're not drafting QB any kinds of early, maybe late just for fun. He'll be a project for them for several years in. You're not even looking until 2025 probably before they would even think about it, even if next year is rough for the Steelers. So Pickett is the guy moving forward. So... Okay, what else do we got here? You gave Percy MVP. That's interesting. Giving a punter an MVP. Are you saying you need Mr. You need Mr. Irrelevant? So that's a comment about Brock Purdy. Well, the funny thing there is they could have obviously drafted Brock Purdy and it would not have made any difference in whether they drafted Pickett or not. I mean, nobody in the world was predicting Brock Purdy to get in there as Mr. Irrelevant and do this for the 49ers. Okay, it was before the Jimmy G, no matter what, yeah, he was an elite, didn't give you the flat, didn't pass the eye test, but he would just win, took the Niners to a Super Bowl. Trey Lance was playing well at times, but he hasn't been healthy enough. It Whether it be the Niners' defense can carry anybody or Brock Purdy is making some throws, taking care of the football, managing the game, doing enough, but that team, that system, that staff, that defense in particular for the last several years, they've been able to do it with anybody at QB, really. It's nothing against Colin Kaepernick. There's nothing against Alex Smith. There's nothing against Jimmy G or now Brock Purdy, but that's four different QBs of the last decade, and there's a difference of head coaches and systems as well. I get it, but it's the same franchise. They've been able to pluck and play and win and win big, and none of those guys were there three, four, five, six, seven years in a row bringing a Hall of Fame career to the table. Alex Smith towards the end, Hall of very good at the best. Kaepernick obviously left earlier than he should have and was still young, And but his career wasn't going up. It was going down when he did leave for his political stance or, or the social justice issues, and maybe that's a bigger calling for him. And Brock Purdy right now is Mr. Eleven. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think Brock Purdy is going to become the next Tom Brady because that's what it is. That's what Teddy Bruschi brought up the other day. A late-round pick out of nowhere does it for you. Tom Brady, that's what he was. There's a whole there's a whole NFL films on it. You drafted all those D. Martin was one for the Steelers. All of those QBs in front of him, no one predicted it. Bledsoe got hurt, who was a borderline Hall of Fame, Hall of Very Good guy. Didn't get to add on that because Brady took the job. Brady got in there when Bledsoe was hurt. Bledsoe led the pass to a Super Bowl only a few years earlier. Was an all-pro, a pro bowler, et cetera. Was a guy with a lot of hype. 
coming out of college, unlike Brady, who only started the one year at Michigan and was fighting for his job there. And then nobody predicted that. But Brady shot out of a cannon. The team was really, really good. They won right away. They embarked on a dynasty. Then he became elite. Then he started carrying some lesser rosters. Then he got Moss and all those numbers really skyrocketed. And now you've seen what he did recently with Tampa. When they get a stacked team around him, he can still do it at this advanced age. And yeah, last year, this past season was rough, but we'll see about his future. He became the GOAT with accomplishments for sure. But no one thought that at the time. No one's predicting that now from Purdy, but this is a testament to the Niners, to their defense, for how they win, for how they're built at Chris McCaffrey. That's a great addition to help any QB out. Certainly a young QB who can rely on somebody as a spark plug and as a weapon. So you give Brock Purdy credit, 100% you do. No one thought this would happen, but to say you'd rather have him than Pickett, we'll see about what they do the rest of their careers. There was a reason why one's Mr. Relevant and one was a first-round pick, the only QB in the first round. There's a reason why one was a Heisman and one was not. So, again, it's a shocking situation to have Brock Purdy do what he's doing, but it's happening, and it's cool. It's a cool story. It's kind of Brady again 20-plus years. Okay. Um Draft. Let me see here. What else? Um, I'm not going to spend time talking about a punter. I don't know if we're getting trolled here or what's going on. A lot of questions about the punting situation. So I'm going to kind of can transition from the Steelers as well here to give more thoughts than just on the Steelers. I did lead in with other possibilities. Doesn't mean we're going to get to all that though. By the way, and again, everything I said at the beginning, it, it is true. We'll see what's asked or what I do get to here. Not going to do this forever. And a lot of these questions, again, are Steelers, Steelers country, uh, of course, in the region. Uh, but I will focus on West Virginia a bit here as well because I directly cover the Mountaineers. So in terms of West Virginia, they do fire Larry Harrison. Was I projecting that? Did I think that was going to happen? Of course not. No, did not. Now, in retrospect, does it maybe look like it is the best thing for Mountaineer basketball because that's what it was sold on? Maybe, yeah. And I like Larry Harrison. I know him actually for years. I've known him for years. I had him on my my old trip show. Good guy. I, I was texting with him actually the other day after this and I kind of feel bad for him because he is taking it rough and he did kind of feel disrespected. And you could argue, and I was asked this when I appeared on shows about the subject, that, hey, look, with his resume, even if the team's not winning, it's obviously not all on the assistant coach for crying out loud. They had the same players. They were great at out-of-conference play. It's not his fault. They lost five in a row in conference, but he's over 60 years old. He really wasn't doing much recruiting any longer. The team was built off the transfer portal. Is that really Larry Harrison? Was that Bob Huggins? Those players wanting to come for Bob or, or, or what was that? And then eventually it just does come to an end for you. He's a Huggins guy, a Huggins lifer. I get it, but I don't have a problem in any way getting younger on the staff. They're never going to fire Bob Huggins. He won a tournament game a few years ago, even though it's not been enough recently. I totally get that. 2021, by the way, a couple years ago, not even a few, if you really want to be literal. So I get it. Hall of Famer, though. I get last year and this year to this point have been maybe underachieving, have been bad, and you want more. But unlike Neil Brown, the track record's there. Okay. Three out of four years in the Sweet 16 recently. We're not talking about just the Final Four from 2010. It was a three out of four year run in the Sweet 16. That, that, that's that's not easy to do. That's not common. Multiple players right now that are hugging guys that are in the NBA that are doing it big, not just there playing on a roster, but doing it big. Javon Carter, Deuce McBride in particular. A lot of other players making money thanks to Bob. And he never was out of blue blood like Coach K or others were able to, and he had Coach K built Duke, but eventually could rely on it being Duke. Roy Williams, Kansas, North Carolina, come on. Coach, you know, Bob Huggins had, or or Coach Cow going to Kentucky. He didn't start at Blue Bloods, but he eventually got to one, and he's been at one for a while. Bob Huggins built up Cincinnati, able to resurrect West Virginia, did a little thing with Kansas State there in the middle, which was a good year for them, by the way. Went home to WVU, had him, you know, gave him the best season they had in 50 years since Jerry West and built up the program to be a consistent contender, taking over for, for John Beeline, another Hall of Famer. But Beeline had the one elite eight year, and yeah, they were good, but NIT champion prior to Bob. It wasn't like Bob took over an NCAA tournament team, even, to be fair. So Bob gave the program the state the team, the university, 
too damn much, they're never going to fire him. So if you want to fix something otherwise on, on the coaching staff, you do get younger with the assistants. Dermar Johnson is a former pro, was able to show kids how to be a pro. Okay, he can do that. He had his 16-year career getting money to play basketball. It's not all in the NBA. He didn't become LeBron, but he was a number six overall pick. That's hard to do. He was a DC sports hero at one point. That's hard to do in that area. And he can really teach kids that, hey, if it's not the NBA, it can be here, here, and here. Like he can help know whether a kid is good enough. He can mentor them. He can get them there. He can convince transfer players to come because he can help you get to the next level and get in the NBA. I guess we don't know how he'll be as an assistant coach because, again, he hasn't really had a big-time job yet. But why not give him the opportunity? You weren't winning without him. Larry Harrison is at an advanced age of 60-plus years old. Maybe you do usher in some new blood. Maybe you somehow could have figured out how to keep them together and then ask Larry to retire at the end of the season. That might have been nicer. But regardless, they do it this way, and maybe it sends a message to the team. It did pick them up for the TCU game. There was a younger, hipper vibe. Uh, DeMar Johnson can relate more to these players, to younger players, to players that are going to be recruits or transfer players. He might do better in the portal era. He's going to be hungry there. He can still shoot. He was shooting it from the logo. Uh, in, in his first game already already playing with the with the players in terms of practicing with them. Larry's not doing that any longer. So I like having Dermar there. I really, really do. I think that was a great move for West Virginia. It mattered who they were going to get to replace Larry Harrison because everyone was so mad. But I think they hit a home run with who they got. I think he will help them over the long term. I feel bad for Larry Harrison. They should have traded him better for sure. The statements, the brief comments. I don't know whether him and Bob had a riff because, yeah, I heard some rumbles of them fighting and not getting along as well recently. Obviously, they've known each other for a very, very long time, basically damn close to 30 years, 24 as a coach under Bob Huggins at Cincinnati NWU. Maybe he deserved better. All right. I could see feeling that way from Larry Harrison, but I do think the Mountaineer basketball program is better off now with Dermar in the fold. It'll be better for the future of the program. Maybe he'll even convince Jose Perez to actually play next year, which seems like he maybe is leaning that way. And I think that's all a plus, plus, plus. As for this team, though, they can beat anybody. They have the talent to beat anybody. But what happened with the TCU in proved something to me that I said prior during the losing streak and kind of knew and hypothesized without them admitting it, that it was mental. It was partly mental during the in-conference play. Last year out of conference, the schedule wasn't as good as it was this year out of conference. They weren't tested. I get that. That was fair last year. Besides calling Gonzaga on the phone. Get into conference play. They just weren't good enough. They weren't good. They weren't that good. I don't care what the record said before January last year. They weren't good. You can see it with your eyes. Huggins' vibe could tell you that. He was apologizing to the state pretty much throughout the season. He knew. They weren't going to do it, okay? This year, he could see this team earlier in the season. They're winning games. They're winning They're winning games by 20 points, and he would say they should have won by 30 or 40. Maybe they weren't playing the best of their ability. I get it. But they were showing you how good they could be. And, yeah, they're not Kansas. Maybe they're not even Baylor. I'm not saying they should win the Big 12 with this roster, but they certainly have a roster and can play better than and are better than being one of the worst teams in the conference. Second worst team in the conference right now. Only, you know, and what's up, man? What's up, Bubba? That's just crazy. They're better than that. And they showed against TCU that those other games, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, they should have beat those teams. You don't expect to beat Kansas and Baylor, but you do expect to beat some of those other teams that provided you a cushion, and they would just melt down at the end of games. That's mental. They wouldn't be able to hit free throws. They didn't hit free throws in those games. They were horrible from the line in those games. That's mental. It doesn't matter who the opponent is when you're hitting a free throw, okay, unless you're intimidated, unless you're upset about something, unless it's mental. And again, maybe they're also taking the mental aspect of <coughs> not getting Jose Perez. I'll tell you this for sure. The program, Bob Huggins, everybody at the school, everyone else who covers the team, and all those players thought Jose Perez would get on this team and be able to play for them at some point this year. Maybe they expected to lose the first ruling. They thought they'd win the appeal. And I do think it's BS, honestly. I don't, I, you know, I, I just do 100%. I've said this before. It is just a fact whether you're want to admit it or not, whether you're a WVU fan or not. The guy 
had his coach fired 10 days before a season started. Everybody there and brothers transferring left and right in, in college football, college basketball, wherever in college sports. JT Daniels, for example, has transferred four times. He's Van Wilder, Wilder of the sport. And I'm not saying I have a problem with it. If you're doing it in the transfer portal, it's legal. He's allowed. He's been hurt, which is why he needs to go different places. Then he lost his starting job at WWE. He's not going to go to the NFL. You got to go somewhere else. I get it. But to have that happen, and then to deny this kid, whose coach was fired 10 days before the start of the season. He didn't go there to Manhattan, despite where he's from, for just a love of the program and a love of the game. He went there for a coach. He went there for Massimino. That's what he did. Everyone knows that. Players go for coaches and been going to schools for coaches well before the transfer portal, and they always will. That always will be part of it, even though now money is obviously involved as well. He wasn't going to West Virginia for some major NIL deal. It wasn't a Jordan Addison type of situation. He wanted to be with a coach that he could trust, like Bob Huggins, who really put in work to recruit him. 38 calls before he called him back. 38 missed calls. It's on our site. We got a story. And 10 days before the start of the season, he had everything rocked and had his coach fired. I'd want to leave too. And Manhattan's been adding players. Other schools have been adding players. Maybe it's because the season started or he had was at that one practice. I don't know. It's fishy. I'm sure I'll say this. I've said it. It's on the record. If this was going on, if he was transferring to Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina, he'd get approved. Maybe second semester, but he'd eventually be on the court. This is wild. This is crazy. They make an example out of him because he transferred so much in his career. And I can't speculate on the other reasons. Maybe they weren't legitimate. Maybe he just wanted to change schools all the time for different situations. But Manhattan at WVU, coach gets fired. He bought into hugs. There's no major NIL deal, by the way. He's selling some t-shirts, but I can tell you there's no 600 grand like with JT Daniels you got to worry about. He got a raw deal. He should have been able to play for this team even, again, maybe not till January. We're in January. He should have got approved on the second appeal. That's wild. We're on the second ruling for the appeal. He got screwed. But it'd be better for his basketball life for him to play next year. He's not ready for the NBA by any means, despite what he averaged at Manhattan. He needs to do it again at the Power 5 level and show it and do it under Huggins will help him because those NBA coaches respect him. We'll see. We'll see if he comes back. I never thought he would. I honestly didn't. I thought it just didn't think it's going to happen. But he still would shoot around. He's still with the team. I don't know if I would be, knowing I can't play. I'd be emotionally scarred. So he's handling it very well. I think he's handling it like a mature adult, even though he's a kid still. And maybe Dermar can mentor, mentor him. Because I think him mentoring players, not being that far removed from their age, only 15, 20 years older than them versus 40-plus years older than them, it's a big generational difference. They're going to respect Omar's game for what he did as a high school, college, and then as a pro player. Getting drafted number six overall in any NBA draft, that's a big deal. That's impressive. Look who he's against in some of those drafts. So, again, I like the move. I think it's really great for the program moving forward. What I'll touch on here as we wrap things up here, anyone who has any other questions here outside of questions, again, about the punting situation for the Steelers, I just don't want to be talking about a punter. Um, but yeah, they, they, they had a boomstick for a while there. And I think a better question, if you want to go to the kicking game is Chris Boswell. Was this year an aberration for him as a kicker? Cause it was rough. He had it rough several years earlier, turned it back around, got very consistent again and very accurate. Is he kind of done? It eventually does happen to kickers where they just fall off a cliff is he somebody that is back? Do you want him back? Do you still believe in Chris Boswell? That might be a better question that's more important to the team of actually somebody that's a former All-Pro for that team, for the Steelers, and what you do with Chris Boswell in that situation moving forward. That will be interesting to keep tabs on for sure, and kickers going in and out. So who you start with doesn't mean who you finish with. Again, look at the Steelers. And honestly, even some playoff teams, the Cowboys aren't sold on the kicker who missed four extra points, and, and they're in the midst of things. So... You just never know. It's a fickle business to be a kicker. It's a thankless, although you get a lot of thanks when you do convert. Uh, and that maybe could send you the Hall of Fame someday, like, like Vinatieri. <laughs> Those clutch kicks are kind of what did it for him. And Justin Tucker doesn't get enough of them, even though he certainly is the best at his craft. But I do want to just, because I brought up Pitt, I do think they're a contender this year. I do think they're better. I do think they fit in part Nelly Cummings, who I, I called his high school game. So I do feel old for that. But I do think they now fit more like a team. The ACC is more wide open. Teams like North Carolina, Duke, they're not as much juggernauts as they were in the past. Duke's barely ranked. North Carolina's already a team that they, they've shown they can beat. These teams are vulnerable. I'm not saying Pitt's going to win the conference, 
and I'm not saying beating up on Louisville impresses you and shows you anything because Louisville is really, really freaking bad this year. But Pitt has shown they can be they can play with anybody. They got destroyed by West Virginia earlier in the season without Ugly, but that was a much better Mountaineer team in terms of how they were playing. And I don't think Pitt was playing together, was ready to play together, was really a team at that point. Ellie Cummings fouls out with seven minutes left. I was there covering it. Yeah, if, if they have foul trouble at the end, if they lose Nelly Cummings, who's the leader of this team, he can really do it shooting. And as an assist man, he's a traditional point guard style. Uh, only the one game I can recall this year where he had no assists, but he was still able to score. Like he can really build the offense and lead an offense. Showed that at Colgate as well. Showed that at Lincoln Park before. And Pitt is building a team again. They have a team. Now losing Ugly is a big deal. Okay, that's why players came to Pitt. That's why Dior Johnson came to Pitt, even though obviously he's not a part of talking this season. So you don't get him, and he would stop you from really making a run. If you have him, you'd have that big body underneath to get rebounds and really be a beast for you. And with this conference so wide open, you'd be that much better. But I do think Pitt can contend in the conference. They can be respectable in the conference. I do think they're going to do enough this year to legitimize Jeff Capel sticking around. I do think... It'll be a situation where people will feel better about him because he now finally has some horses. These players fit more in their roles than players of old for Pitt. That's a big deal. That's a big advantage for Pitt basketball for sure. And again, led by Nelly Cummings. But we'll see long term because obviously you got to go back on the portal. They got to do different things. They're not going to have Nelly Cummings forever. These, these are veteran players, although you do able to get his brother to come aboard in terms of as a recruit, thanks to Nelly. But Ogie and company, I mean, they they have other guys. Federico Federico, I just love saying his name. He's been able to fit in at times and do different things with more minutes because Ugly has been out, but you can't rely on those guys like you would have been able to Ugly. So this team is vulnerable to be upset by anybody. Uh, seen bad moments this year as well, but they're also able to kind of beat anybody and certainly led again by coming. So I'd expect Pitt in the NCAA tournament this year. I think they really got to have a problem for two, three weeks in a row and really lose a lot of games, go on kind of a losing streak like West Virginia just went on to get out of that field. They've kind of shown enough that if they can just keep holding water, they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Are they going to go anywhere? Probably not. But getting in the NCAA tournament this year after where they were a year ago, after really proud of that, it was just Justin Champagne and a, a bunch of cast of characters and where they were under Kevin Stallings, which still isn't that long ago, would be a big deal. NIT was going to probably save Capel's job. I think they get in the tournament, they save him two or three years. So I think they are kind of building something there. I'm not going to say Pitt basketball is back to what it was under Ben Howen or Jamie Dixon for a while where that house is rocking because there's still not nearly as many Pitt fans there as probably what that team deserves. But I do definitely believe that the Pitt Panthers are a competitive team that's fun to watch. Bring you some entertainment if you are a Pitt fan this year. And they're going to be a tournament team for sure. And you know, I touched on the Penguins at the top of the show. Not going to really have time to get too much into it here. But again, question marks on, on what you do for the future because you wanted to keep it on with the same group. And look, they're just not built to – they're not going to have a deep run. It's not going to happen. There's not enough defensively. They are getting longer in the tooth and some players they're rely on, relying on. There's too much relying on Crosby. Malkin maybe relied on too much to be a scorer. Gensel as well, some, you know, some others – they're, they're getting too top-heavy still. There's not an overall group. They don't have the depth they've had in some of those cup runs. Guys like Jeff Carter that I mentioned earlier, they're not able to do nearly what they were before. So I did want to touch on that. Don't cover hockey as much, obviously, just in my professional career, but I know the freaking sport left and right and grew up loving it, and you can be a hockey encyclopedia at times as well as everything else. But I wanted, wanted to get that off, wanted to certainly you know fire that take out there that's not new. Everyone's been saying it. It's clear. It's been more, more kind of evident recently but when you have games like what happening is ottawa etc i mean they're not even really always fun to watch they had to come back against vancouver a week or so ago after getting down early in the game they're still trying to figure it out in net um with jari there and and several others i mean it, it just again it it doesn't scream a deep run it's gonna be hard to knock off tampa and some of those teams i don't believe in washington either it's just ovechkin and the rest and as much as I love Ovi, they don't have the depth either. You got to have the depth for a long, deep cup run, okay? It's not always the stars or Hall of Famers that do it and score those cup-clinching goals or big goals or shorthanded goals to turn series, et cetera. It's the depth of the team, okay? It's Maxine Talbot's. It's the depth of the team. And they don't have the depth 
that those teams had, even going down to Kessel and the reason back-to-back. Like, they don't have a, a big three. They don't have a unit like that or somebody that can at least bring it offensively if they're not bringing it defensively. So they don't have enough on the defensive pairings. They got a question mark still in terms of a playoff run in net. And again, it's too much on Crosby. Malkin's still hot and cold, although he can certainly take over games. We've seen spurts. We've seen a four-point game from him recently, but also different possessions where it's like, ah, he's giving up the puck. That's just what you get with Malkin. You had to know that. But if they were going to unload for the future and get younger, it had to be trading those guys years ago. That's where their value was peaked. They waited. They tried to hold hold on and, and keep it on, and they weren't able to really have a deep run again in the postseason. They missed the boat on those opportunities. And now, are you really a buyer or are you really a seller? And they're not going to sell, obviously, with Lemieux. They want to win now. But what does happen at the trade deadline? Where does this team go? How does the offseason conversation roll along? And it's going to be annoying, I'm sure, because anything less than a cup is unacceptable to Penguin fans, but they're not winning the cup this year. And they won a bunch, but you know, some, of course, are going to say it wasn't enough for the talent and having Crosby there, for sure. And then just lastly, as I close up shop here on this Ask Mike Anything Pittsburgh Sports Regional Live Chat, we we do have people here again um see if there's any more questions here before i get into i do want to give the take there on the pirates adding andrew mccutcheon and just my thoughts there because andrew mccutcheon obviously coming back to pittsburgh it's a cool thing no one's hating on it no one thinks it's bad but uh, i don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna be what some people think it's gonna be throwing up him there i don't know who's him to you um let me see A lot of questions about the 49ers and and and, and all of that. Um, I'm not going to get into more of the national scene right now on the purpose of this show. Just th- Then I'll just wrap things up. So just my thoughts here. Andrew McCutcheon coming back to Pittsburgh. It's cool. If he wants to finish his career as a pirate, he named one of his kids Steel, for crying out loud. Obviously loved Pittsburgh. Loved Pittsburgh more than just loved being a pirate. And he was there, obviously, and, and was the leader and built it up to that special period of 13 to 15 my whole childhood really they hadn't been in the playoffs they hadn't even been above 500 for 20 years prior to 2013 they don't get a pennant out of it they don't win a playoff series despite winning a wild card game but it was special and you could argue all day whether they broke up the team too soon i definitely think they did if you're win now mode you could go one or two more years they're not they're the pirates they you know, they know they're not going to keep these guys forever. They they don't want to lose money as some small market teams kind of have to certain years in order to win now. Small markets have been able to win big, but they got to take an L sometimes in the pocketbook. The Pirates don't want to do that. Nutting doesn't want to do that. And if they know a guy's going long term, they're going to cut bait early, even if the team's winning. So that didn't matter. And that certainly could upset many people. But in terms of McCutcheon, he won an MVP. He was one of the better players in the league. You had a Hall of Famer legend like Ken Griffey Jr. at the time calling Andrew McCutcheon the best player in all of baseball. He was that kind of like Griffey-like center. I'm going to lead the team. I can do it with my bat and my glove. And obviously not to that level, but he was an MVP. He was a perennial all-star, great player. He's going to finish with probably 300 homers, 2,000-plus hits, respectable batting average, has the MVP, able to have postseason appearances some postseason success obviously with pittsburgh he's been toiling since to try to hang on and get on some contending teams obviously traded the giants brian reynolds probably popping off too he was the guy that was in that trade initially so it'd be interesting now if brian reynolds stays but i would imagine not so they won't be able to play together philadelphia kind of showed that he still was a good player with the phillies when people kind of wrote him off there obviously with the yankees milwaukee etc many thought he would come back to pittsburgh last year ended up being a part of the brewers and, and showing again that he had something left but not nearly what he was so people saying oh man you're gonna see 20 homers 80 rbi again 300 average from mccutcheon no you're not gonna see those things guys he's not gonna win another mvp he's not gonna vie for it he's not gonna lead them to the postseason it's gonna be special in terms of the summer of 2023, because he's going to be able to knock off some milestones. It's going to be special on opening day because he'll be able to wave his cap and maybe perform 
and you'll be able to hearken back to 2013 and even before and knowing what it was going to become and seeing him build up to that guy, kind of like what you want to see from Key Brian Hayes now, and then do it in 2013 and 14, even 15, and, and be that guy for you to turn the tide from the longest route in pro sports to we're actually a good team. That's a big deal. He's that guy. That's why McCutcheon's one of the more beloved Pittsburgh sports figures ever. Didn't win a championship. Like I would say Lemieux obviously maybe has that crown. I would. There's no one on the Steelers really that is that beloved living. Obviously, Franco Harris was the late Franco Harris. So you could argue historically dead or alive. Maybe Franco was that guy. He just was everywhere in Pittsburgh. I got a picture with him. Everyone got a picture with him. And obviously the steel curtain and that success and the dynasty that he was a part of and his individual success, because the numbers were even there for him and they aren't always for players back then. So maybe it was Franco. Bradshaw didn't have, you know, the warm and fuzziness, obviously being the QB. So maybe it was Franco, the most visible, even more recently, maybe it was Lemieux, of course. People believe him to be the GOAT, had to retire because of cancer. Gretzky has more numbers, of course, but people really are in love with Lemieux. He built up the Penguins from being nothing, from being a laughingstock to being a back-to-back champ. Then he became the owner, saved the town, kept him in Pittsburgh, able to draft Crosby, Malkin, Flurry, get another run, championship, lose the Red Wings in the, in the final the year before. They get revenge. Then back-to-back again that he also built up with another team, and just been kind of a hero of the city, to say the very, very least. The guy could run for mayor. So maybe it's Lemieux. Maybe it's Franco if you're talking about not living right now. But Andrew McCutcheon's right there in terms of beloved Pittsburgh sports figures, certainly to my generation. So obviously Lemieux and Franco certainly would be a bit prior to that. But McCutcheon, for a whole generation plus, if not multiple generations, and maybe really historically, certainly in the last 50 years you could argue, Absolutely for a player that didn't win a championship to be the most beloved, but even in general, one of the most beloved Pittsburgh sports figures of all time. Absolutely. Andrew McCutcheon in terms of popularity and being beloved and he had success, but it wasn't Hall of Fame. He's not going to Cooperstown, but absolutely. He's going to have his number retired by the Pirates someday. 100%. They're definitely going to do it. He means a lot to that franchise and he's that freaking popular because he was that guy to do it and turn the tide and, and have that 2013 to 14 to 15 run. He was a leader. He's the face of it. He was the face of building it and the face of doing it. And he didn't choose to leave. He didn't go to a rival. He didn't have tremendous success individually or more success elsewhere. So you're still clinging to that pirate period to be the team that he's most associated with. All of that put together. Pirate fans have always loved him. Pittsburgh's always loved him. He's always loved the pirates in Pittsburgh. So he's back to end things. And if that's what he wants to do, great. He's not going to have the special renaissance MVP type of year, though, that you're calling for. No, it's probably going to be more something neighborhood of 12 homers, 40, 50, some RBI, 270, barely getting to a, not even probably getting to 100 hits. I mean, who knows? Maybe he won't be healthy throughout the whole year. That's happened to McCutcheon in recent years. You're an older player who's not a Hall of Famer. You're, you're going to drop down. It's not going to be what it was. That's more realistic probably for a type of year he may have, maybe a few we're looking at 10 doubles the most. We're not looking at a 30-double season again here, guys. It's not going to be what it was. But if he wants to end with the Pirates, fine. It's good for them to do. They're going to sell more tickets, make more money, and they're not going anywhere this year, so why not? He'll help them for sure, especially if you're not going to have Reynolds. He maybe could even be better than the numbers I'm predicting right now. But it also does show, and my first thought actually was, not to be negative here, either he didn't have any better offers or his priorities have shifted. So it does come out now that he did get a few other offers. They weren't really better. They were either for lesser roles, so more bench roles, whereas he going to start on the Pirates on opening day and wouldn't happen anywhere else, or minor league type of deals, and he could fight back up and get in there and try to do something again in Major League Baseball at the end. So if you have just those deals and you want to end with the Pirates and you want to wave your cap and you want to get another opening day start and you want to have another summer in Pittsburgh and have your kids watch you in Pittsburgh, especially the one that's named Steele, I get it. Do it. But it also shows that his priority is not winning. This team isn't going to win. This team isn't going to the playoffs. I don't care how many extra teams are now allowed and what the format dictates. They're not going to get in. They're not going to fight to get in. They're not going to be close to getting in. They're not going to be a contender in September or late August. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen last year. It didn't happen the year before. They're not ready. Certainly if they're not going to have Reynolds, he's still the best player on this team. And I get his situation too, 
but they're they're not. They're years and years away, guys. And it's not to say that I'm doing it right. I'm not getting on Sherrington. I, I get that he's not to blame for what happened for any of the prior decades or any of the past regimes. I get it was a long project. I get it wasn't like the Red Sox that was able to that he was able to spend and do it a lot quicker and, and win big there. I get all of that. It's not even getting on him. It's not even getting on Sheldon, who how can you judge him with that roster and what he was dealt with? No one would have been able to win big with those teams in recent years or even win it all. So I get it. They might take a step above this year to really show you they can do something at some point in the future, in the immediate future, but not this year. This isn't a, this isn't some wild, I don't know where pennant winner like the 06 Tigers last the first. This isn't that. This isn't some lightning in a bottle team. 2013, they were building to it. You could see flashes. This isn't that. This isn't a playoff team. This isn't a contending team. This isn't a winning team. Okay, this might be a below 500 team. Again, likely. So if McCutcheon wants a ring, wants a last chance at a ring, wants a chance to play in a World Series, wants another playoff run, it wasn't going to be with the Pirates. And the Mets... Some of those teams that did offer him deals, even though they weren't starting opportunities, weren't opening day starting opportunities like in Pittsburgh, he will start opening day. I'll break that news to you. They would have been better teams in terms of winning. He would have had a chance to at least be in the postseason with those teams. They would have been more contending opportunities. But at the end of the day, he comes back. He's going to finish it in Pittsburgh. It is a cool story, honestly. And he's that guy from the last 15 years. He's one of the most beloved and popular Pittsburgh sports figures ever, certainly of this or recent generations, and let him have that fanfare and then eventually retire his number with the Pirates. Won't be more in baseball, obviously. Won't won't be Cooperstown. Let's not get wild with thinking of McCutcheon. He had that great run, great player, great career. But <clears throat> what he'll be this year, probably got to temper those expectations. That will do it. I just wanted to get something out there, not only for sports now, but for believe. And I also wanted to talk to some of you, see where your minds are, see what you're thinking, your thoughts, and get back and forth. We didn't do as much as I would have liked in that regard, to be honest. A lot of this was my takes. I admit, I had to go with what you gave me here, guys. It was a live chat. I took a shot. I've had live chats that are really rocking at times and then some others where you're talking about punters and i'm getting three or four questions and most of this but nonetheless want to give my takes one to hit the region wanting to do it for the believe network again go to believe to find all of their content and it's the national scene it's former athletes former illustrious figures in sports notable figures in sports other media colleagues of mine whether they be national or in other local regions and notable names whether they be again be athletes or media members notable names at the believe network go there believenetwork.com you'll see a list you'll see mic drop you can also subscribe on apple stitcher spotify TuneIn, etc to the mic drop podcast just search mic drop any of those spots or search mike Ossie, of course my name find me on twitter twitter below here it's on the lower third at mike Osti 11 you can also find all of my coverage of the mountaineers wv sports now managing editor over there and also of course everywhere else we cover throughout the sports now network and you can also do a google search to see where i've been in my career but again mic drop everywhere you get your podcasts believe everywhere you can get your elite podcasting and you can believe in it in terms of who's there at the believe network. And then I'll just hit one more. Cause I do see this from Kelsey. Okay. We got a legit question here. Why did it take that view six conference game to play? We thought they would, they finally looked like they knew what to do with the ball last night. Do you think something finally clicked? I think they finally played to their potential. I said this before I touched on this before scroll back in the archive. I think they finally hit to their potential. I think they always were better than what they've been those five games. They're not one of the worst teams in conference play, even though they were playing bad. They weren't hitting free throws, et cetera. It's their fault. They're in this hole. But they they should have been better than that. They're not Kansas. They're not Baylor. But they should have been better than five in a row. No one five in conference play. I don't care what conference it is. They played closer to their potential against TCU. Will it continue on? I don't know. I do think it was mental for a while, for a couple months. I do think that Jose Perez lost. I do think a lot of the things unraveled, and this team wasn't mentally sound. But as I said on Twitter, they showed mental strength by still hanging on for a win, even though they squandered an 18-point lead and played really bad down the stretch. They almost blew this game to TCU as well. Imagine if they would have lost that. Then we'd be having a whole other conversation. The season would basically be done with and be over and done so. 
but I think their potential is high. I don't know if it's click. We got to see Texas before I can fully say it clicked, but that's more to their potential. They can play as a team. They can hit shots. They can hit free throws, which they hadn't been doing for several games. They've been rebounding all season. So I don't know if they're the team that's winning by 30 and out of conference play most of those nights. No, that's not who they are. The Big 12 is a tougher schedule. But they hung with right, right with Purdue out of conference too, and they got a number one ranking at one point. So I think they're absolutely – well, here it is. I gave you the answer so you don't got to scroll back. But nonetheless, I think they hit their potential. I do think they're close to their potential. Off of what you saw at a TCU, I don't think they're as bad as 0-5. I do think they're going to be better the rest of the season, be more of a contender. There's a better vibe around this team and maybe adding Dermar and firing Larry Johnson as bad as it was. Maybe that actually kicked this team in the pants and that was exactly what they needed. So that'll do it for this edition, this live chat edition of the show. Again, hit up Believe Network, hit up Mike Drop, find it everywhere you get your podcasts. Also hit up the Sports Now Network and of course, West Virginia Sports Now for where I mostly am located. And find me at Mike Rossi 11. If you don't, catch it here if you don't catch one of these shows if you didn't get me here if you weren't able to chat with me here chat with me there i'll respond to you and if you bring me tomfoolery i'll bring you sarcasm back maybe you'll also see some pictures of my baby to make you feel better so either way <laughs> we're all able to win thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.